Welcome to the Filmmaker Mixer Podcast. My name is Andrew, and I'm joined alongside my co-host, Jeff, as always. Today we have on again, actress Katie Folger. We do a follow-up with Katie on her one-woman show, Getting in Bed with the Pizza Man, and she talks about her new film, which is premiering at the Locarno Film Festival, Family Portrait. Hello, everybody. This is the Filmmaker Mixer, and tonight we are chatting with Katie Folger. Katie is an actress, a writer, a comedian based here in Austin, Texas. And if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that we had Katie on Season 2, Episode 3 of The Filmmaker Mixer. That's when she was gearing up for her long-awaited Austin premiere of Getting in Bed with the Pizza Man, which was Katie's one-woman show. And now we have her back to talk about her new movie, Family Portrait. Katie, you're one of our regulars now. We have to form a new club for people who've been on the show multiple times, so thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very happy to be chatting with you guys again. I'm very flattered. Uh, yeah, it's uh, great to be here. Happy to be here. Well, I know you're flying out this weekend uh, for the premiere of your new movie, Family Portrait. So um, why don't we just jump right into that? Tell us about this uh, new film. Sure. Yeah, I actually fly out uh, tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I think I leave at 1230. I'm going to Switzerland for the Locarno Film Festival which is um, a really awesome, more auteur filmmaker, art-focused space for filmmakers that are, it carves a space for filmmakers that are not traditionally commercial, that make films that aren't traditionally commercial, which I love. It's it's definitely an art, artist-first festival. And I'm, I'm so excited. I've never been. I, I feel like I'm just about to head off into this journey that I, I don't even really know what to expect. Um, but yeah, it, our movie, we made it, we made Family Portrait last summer um, in the Hill Country. So kind of the Kerrville Hunt area. It was a indie film directed by Lucy Kerr and produced by a production company based in New York called Insufficient Funds. And a lot of the people working on the film were people that I had known for a really long time. They were friends. And I was actually in Oaxaca, Mexico last May traveling and vacationing. And I, I really needed a vacation. And then three days into my three week trip there, I got a phone call or I got an email from Lucy and Fred Winkler and Megan Pickrell, who are the producers. And they essentially really wanted me to do this movie. And I looked at the pitch deck and it was cool, but I was just kind of like, I don't, I'm on vacation. And I, I didn't even read the script. I was like, no, thank you. And then uh, <laughs> I was like, I, I, I need to chill out because I, I was getting a master's in mental health counseling too at the time. So it was just total, it's a lot, you know, it's busy. And then I loved it because they basically were like, hey, we really respect your desire to be on vacation, but like, we really think you're perfect for this role. Can we hop on the phone? Oh, <laughs> wow. Okay, I'll take a phone call with you and then hopped on the phone and they convinced me to hop on board and I flew back from my vacation like a week before it was supposed to end and I'm so happy that I did because I'm honestly so surprised at like we're we're premiering at an incredible international film festival only like 13, 14 months after we shot the movie, which is so rare in indie cinema. And then another thing that they had said to me when they were trying to get me on board was, 
Katie, this is going to, this movie has a lot of international ties. I think it could be really cool for you to get in front of international audiences. And I'd, I'd never, I've never done a movie that got to do an international film festival. And, you know, as those of us who do film know, it's so rare that people deliver on what they promise, but this film is like over delivering. There's something really special about it and I haven't even seen it yet. So I'm so curious to even see what, what we're working with here. So. And the film was directed by Lucy Kerr. I'm curious, how did you meet Lucy? Had you known her before that, or was it on that phone call you just spoke about? Yeah. So Lucy, actually I'd only crossed paths with her in person once Funnily enough, when I was living in Brooklyn in 2019, she was really good friends with another one of my film producer and director friends, Brittany Reber. They were very, very close friends. And Lucy was, uh, she was in town for the weekend and I just crossed paths with her then, but we didn't even really interact that much. But I knew of her for a long time because we both went to UT Austin and she was actually in the dance program. She's really a cool person. She's a dancer she's an installation artist and she's also a filmmaker and uh this is her first feature she's um she's one of filmmaker magazine said she was uh one of uh 25 new filmmakers to watch in like 2022 and and then IndieWire just put out an article today that said our movie is like one of the top five to watch at the festivals oh wow that's that's awesome I know. And it's, it's an international festival. We're one of very few American films, which like, I think is really cool. And oddly enough, one of the other American films is also an Austin made film. We weren't made in Austin, but we were, we did make the movie in Texas and Lucy has her ties to Austin, but Bob Byington's next film is also premiering at Locarno. And again, like, I'm like, go, go Texas filmmakers. This is awesome. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, but yeah, she and I kind of were in similar friend circles and then, yeah, it's kind of, I guess they knew of my work and knew of me and it's a family film. It's a, I don't even know how to describe it. Uh, It's kind of an experimental family drama movie about um, like a somewhat estranged, intense, wealthy oil family in Texas. And the whole movie traces their, sort of not like I think it runs 78 minutes and it's almost in real time and it's basically these little vignettes of the family getting together to take a family portrait thus the title family portrait but from what I'm reading about it uh it's apparently the film and the style of it is very unsettling and the narrative also feels a bit non-linear even though it is so the reason I say I think is because even when we were making the movie we weren't, we trusted Lucy's vision because it was clear that there was something special going on. She got a lot of really amazing people involved. Like Dara Campbell is the star. She's uh, a really prominent independent film actress in Canada and Chris Gillespie, who also he was nominated for an indie spirit, I believe for best actor you know, so, but the script, it was just a very non, it was an untraditional process because we, there were lines on the page and that we had to learn, but the camera wasn't necessarily on us when we were speaking. And so a lot of us kind of said after the shoot, I don't even know what we made. I have no idea what we made. And so- Oh, that's truth, interesting. Yeah. So I'm very intrigued to see 
what the cut of this movie is. I I can't wait because I I don't I don't really know yet. That's really interesting, and I know all directors have their own style of how they deal with actors and and the crew and so forth. With this style of film, which sounds like it's a little out of the box, how did the director work with you and the other actors? Yeah, it was definitely, definitely out of the box. Essentially, we all were, it felt like a big summer camp because we were shooting on Lucy's family's property. It's this like kind of beautiful property on the Guadalupe River out in Hunt, Texas. And yeah, it was like summer camp. They There's like different buildings on the property. Some of us, some people stayed on set where we were shooting. I didn't stay on set. I stayed in Airbnbs around, but it was this very intimate and insular experience. It was almost immersive, I would say, because especially for the people staying in the actual buildings on the set, um, on the property because they couldn't really leave set. <laughs> um, but regarding how we shot, it was very unusual. Essentially, she would, because the cast was quite large. It was, I mean, what? This is a rough, like 20, 25, maybe 30 people because it's this big family movie. And often she would, and of course, this was a bit frustrating because as an actor, you really, you know, you want to be called to set when you know you're needed or like soon before but of course we all know hurry up and wait but she would call i would say more than any other film that i've done she would call a large number of the cast for a lot of the days of shooting even if she ended up not using us because it was a very intuitive process for her. Yes, there were scenes and yes, there were lines, but there would be these sort of intuitive discoveries that she would make or that the team would make. And then she would throw people in scenes that, you know, she wasn't really expecting or that the actor wasn't expecting. So albeit frustrating at times because you're tired and waiting around all day. Yeah. There were a couple of days where I was called and was there all day and didn't do anything. Um, but you know, I think it'll I think it'll warrant a really interesting movie. And apparently it has because all the film publications keep talking about our movie. So last time we talked to you, you spoke about how you were kind of preparing for your one woman show. And while you've also done films in the past, I'm curious, how did you prepare for this role in Family Portrait? Did did you prepare differently? Did, was it a different experience for you than most projects? Yeah, it, it was different because it was so quick. It was it was because I was in Oaxaca traveling and enjoying my time there. And I mean, I did not have a lot of prep time for this role. I think I, you know, we were negotiating for like a week. So going back and forth, making sure that everybody felt good with the deal. And then I think I probably was in... Mexico for like a week and a half after us kind of negotiating back and forth. So I I basically had a week and a half to prepare for this role. So at least before I made it on set, but that for this style of filmmaking that really worked because again, I think that this movie was very, a lot of filmmakers come to set and they have a very specific idea of what each scene is like and what each shot is like and what each and she did she did have specific she had her shot list of course I think uh 
that that was very dialed in but she gave us a lot of room to explore throughout the process something i want to mention too is that we also like had meetings because we all like had spouses and so one thing she did was she like took me and my fake husband in the movie to go sit down for a chat and she interviewed us as if we like as our characters so there were just a yeah there were a lot of very unusual this was a very unusual process when it comes to a lot of movies that I've done but yeah I, I didn't have a lot of prep at all it was a lot of it was intuitive a lot of it was yeah, I have my ideas, but I don't have time to create a hyper specific uh, portrait, pun intended, of this character. So I have to really trust my instincts. And often when I'm creating a role for film, the thing that I like to do now is create a role that I am interested in, like create a psyche and a character that I am personally interested in. So that's kind of, I think, you know, it would be stressful to have so little time to prep a role, but I think I I trust, I do trust my own instincts at this point in the craft. I mean, I've been doing it for <laughs> a long time. So yeah, it was, it was, it was quite unusual and it was, it was very fun. Well, you know, being an ensemble piece like that and, and with this shooting style, did you get any rehearsal with the cast or did you just figure all that out once you got to set? And and if so, how did you build the connection with the other actors? Let me try to think back to when we were shooting. There was a substantial amount of rehearsal time built in eat before each scene. So another unusual thing about the process of this movie is that we would do the same scene the same take, like literally the same shot 30, 40 times because she had very specific shots and images and moments. Some, some were very specific, but then she would just throw people in. Like I said, I know that's kind of contradictory, but there were certain shots and conversations that like she knew that she wanted. And so we would just do them over and over and over and over. And on the one hand, that could also get frustrating. But on the other hand, like, I remember there was this one scene where we were, it's me and the, my sisters in the movie, and we're all seated around this fire. I cannot wait to see this scene. <laughs> and we're discussing, we, we're discussing the death of a family friend that we just heard about like 10 minutes ago. And we're all quite disturbed by it. And we all as actors... I remember after doing that scene in 102 degree heat for four to six hours, I can't remember the exact duration, but I remember four hours in, we were like, this is cool. <laughs> we were like, <laughs> it's like we're in a meditation. And, and the fact that we were given so much time to like really go in and try something over and over and over just opened up things that we didn't even know were in the script. So that, that was really interesting. And then regarding bonding with the other actors, I, as an actor, am very intent on bonding with other actors if I can. I just think it it makes, for one, a more enjoyable experience for me. I really like people. I really like making friends. And generally, I become friends long-term with a lot of 
fellow actors that I work with and people on film sets. But this was this sort of situation was inherently set up for us all to bond because, again, we were all on location and staying in relatively close quarters. I was in an Airbnb with a couple actors. So bonding, bonding was pretty easy, at least for me. But also, like, I feel like I get along with a a lot of different types of people. But um, yeah, I'd say that I'd say that sums it up. Well, I'm curious, um, when you said you would you would do these scenes over and over and over, was it was there improv involved? Were you doing the scenes differently every time? I mean, do you think you were trying to figure out different angles to do the scene? I'm wondering what the um, the idea behind doing so many takes, you know, what, you know, what, what, what do you think you guys were going for? To be honest, I don't even know. Like, this is why I'm so curious to watch this movie because there were so many things that Lucy and the artistic team, like the behind the camera, creative vision, sort of creative producer team, writers were doing that. I don't, I do not know why. I truly don't know why we did so many takes and they never told us. <laughs> <laughs> but I think based on what I've read about the movie, um, I think, I mean, it was very intentional that she did this. Like, hold on. I actually want to pull up. I hope I can do this. Can I pull up an article? <laughs> sure, sure. Um, IndieWire, five movies to watch. Because I want to read what IndieWire wrote about the movie. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's see. Yeah, so on IndieWire, they said today, Still Waters Run Deep in this feature debut from Texas-born filmmaker and installation artist Lucy Kerr. The deceptively placid sketch of a pandemic era family who get together on a windless summer day, blah, 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 blah. Okay, this is the part that I want to say. Um, the particulars of the disquiet are vague by design, as the plotless family portrait eschews a clear narrative in an effort to crystallize the disquiet that a more linear story might try to explain away. But no movie that opens with an Edgar Allan poet. Uh, Poe quote and several minutes of ominous whooshing sounds is trying to be that coy about its intentions. So I'm, I mean, it's, it's like I made this movie, but I don't even know, like, I cannot wait to see it because um, the things that I think like we were living in the reality of these characters. Right. But I think the style that we shot, which is not really my, as an actor in this movie, it's not my job to really understand I don't think she really wanted us to know what she was doing on purpose. If that, no, that makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense because sometimes, you know, if a director is going for a certain aesthetic or a certain feel or a certain rapport with the actors, you know, between each other, sometimes you have to manipulate the situation to get that result, if that makes sense. So it sounds like it was very intentional to, to get the kind of performances she wanted. Um, Exactly. That's really well said. Yeah. You know, you know, pivoting to something uh, more practical because we get asked this all the time and, you know, all answers are different because all films are different. But um, was this like a three week shoot or how long did you shoot? And, you know, what was the schedule like? I believe I was there for about two and a half weeks. I think the whole movie was done in three weeks. Yeah. And the only reason I was there two and a half weeks was because I was delayed from my 
Well, I, I just was, a uh, I was traveling and they made an exception sort of for me and altered my schedule, but overall it was total. It was a three week shoot. And did they have the whole, I mean, other than you, did they have the whole cast there for the three weeks so they could do this, this style of shooting? For the most part. Yeah. Everybody That's was interesting. there. Yeah. Everybody was there. Some people towards the end left sooner, like a couple of us, most, sorry, most people wrapped out a couple days before the two leads. Um, but yeah, for the most part, everybody was there the whole time. Well, let's pivot over to something else. I'm curious about your one woman show, as we mentioned earlier in in the broadcast, um, you, uh, premiered getting in bed with the pizza man and by all accounts, it was a huge success. So I'm curious now that that's behind you, what do you think you learned as a performer and an artist pulling off a one woman show? Any, any new things you gleaned as an actress and a, and a performer? Oh gosh, so many. Um, and thank you so much for the kind words. I was obviously, and still am absolutely thrilled. This year has been a really great year for me artistically, and it feels really good. I've, I've worked so hard. And so this is certainly a very good year for me, ironically, during a strike year. <laughs> um, but essentially, I, so first I'll say that my show is not completely behind me because, because it went so well. And so I am exploring next steps to get this show in front of larger audiences, more diverse audiences, audiences all over the world. I, oh, I really, that's nice. Yeah. The plan, I haven't gone hard into this yet because truly when I wrapped the show in mid mid May, I was completely exhausted and I'm just starting to get my stamina back. I am excited to go to Europe. This will be really lovely for the soul. And then when I get back, the plan is to start cooking the next rounds of this. So I have to start following the breadcrumbs and chatting with booking agents and potential theaters and and whatnot in order to take this show on the road. Literally, um, that's the hope, at least. And I'd like to encore it in Austin as well at a bigger theater. But gosh, you know, I learned so much. Honestly, we could spend an entire episode talking about that. <laughs> I think the thing that first comes to mind is that I learned that I can really trust my instincts artistically and I learned that getting to a point where you can really be proud of your work and that audiences like really respond, like getting your work to a point that audiences really respond to it. I mean, this has taken years of trial and error, right? And everybody, we hear that all the time. We hear that people try th like inventors and artists and all sorts of different types of people, business people, entrepreneurs, they try things and they fail, uh, quote unquote, fail. Things don't go the way that they want. And I finally, something went not only the way I want, but better than I could have imagined. I, I did not expect, I mean, I, I liked what I, I liked my show, but I did not know that it was going to resonate with the wide array of people that came and sat in those seats. I mean, I, my show is from the perspective, obviously, of a young woman. I was very, I, I put a lot of care in my writing to not, I, I, I personally am not big into artwork that finger points. Of course, yes, criticism is important and that's in my show, but 
I don't want anybody watching my show to feel like I'm essentially, can I curse on this show? <laughs> you can do whatever you want. <laughs> I, I don't want anyone to feel like I'm being hateful or like I'm shitting on them. And so there is, there are moments in the show where I talk about poor, poor experiences that I've had interacting with men. And so I was somewhat, I didn't want men to, while I feel that my message is very important for men to hear, I didn't want men to feel um, like I was pointing a finger at them or condemning them. Instead, I, 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 I'm really proud that you know, so many men loved my show and so many older, specifically white men loved my show. And they said they wanted their daughters to come to my show. And I'm just very, I thought like the older white man would be the exact demographic that would not like my show. And there were so many older white men that did like my show. So that was really surprising. Um, that was, you know, my show deals a lot with sex, obviously. And so I also was nervous about how it would read to older audiences in general. And I got a lot of really positive feedback from older audiences. In fact, my Austin Chronicle reviewer is an older white man. And I was very, I was told to like, worry about him that he wasn't going <laughs> to like my show. My PR team was like, just so you know, this guy's really harsh. And he sat front middle taking notes the whole time and he was cracking up the whole time and he wrote a very glowing review. And I, you know, it's really been a pinch me season. I'm like, really? You guys like this this much? Cool. <laughs> so yeah, just in a nutshell, I think I really learned that I can trust my instincts that, you know, I've had an instinct, a primary instinct to be a creator for a very, very long time. And I finally feel like I've sharpen my skill set enough to to put some really great work out in the world and that that I can feel proud of and that other people like and and that feels really good um I I mean I learned that it was all it was all really hard <laughs> I I learned it was it was wonderful but it was so hard like it was so hard and I I mean I was also that the head of like a team I I was also kind of a showrunner and that was really challenging. Um, obviously, I had help and I had a producer and I had a director who were wonderful. But in a large sense, like being the face, the writer, the 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 kind of creator of this thing, I had a lot of responsibility and also like uh, responsibility to manage the team. And, and that was a lot, too, um, like doing the business side of this stuff. So, you know. I mean, those are those are two things that come off the top of my head right away. And I can certainly keep riffing, but I'll leave that for now. Well, it's interesting. Um, you know, you're talking about how it resonated with audiences. We we had Chris Gore on the show the other day, and he brought up a really good point that, um, you know, creative work is meant to build empathy. And yeah. and you obviously created a character that the audience could empathize with, even though they may not, might not be exactly like you or have <clears throat> the same demographic or age or whatever, but they identified with you as a character in that show. And I think that's awesome. Yeah, it was cool. It, you know, it's funny too. Like a lot of the things that I wrote are so specific and so personal. And, and that's another thing that I learned is I think the more, just the more 
authentic you can be to yourself, the more that you can let your own freak flag fly. I think for me, I'm learning that that's like, that's the key to my own inspiration, my enthusiasm. Uh, This might be a bit of a hyperbolic word, but my own liberation you know, getting to be more fully myself. I'm pretty pumped to to put my show out in front of other audiences and see what they, what more audiences think too, you know? Well, that's awesome. Well, um, definitely keep us in the loop on that. And as your uh, one woman show expands and you, as you start to look at new avenues of getting it out there, just keep us in the loop because we'd love to have you back on to talk about that. And uh, in the meantime, I know you're flying out for your film festival tomorrow, so uh, we will let you go. But thanks again for being on the show and uh, break a leg at the festival. Have a great time. Thank you so much. It was so lovely to talk with y'all. And thanks for uh, thanks for sneaking it in before I jet away. All right. You take care. Have a good time. Take care, y'all. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Filmmaker Mixer Podcast, a podcast created and hosted by filmmakers Jeff Stolen and Andrew Lamping and produced by Melody Lopez. Our theme music was composed by the eloquent Stephen D. Bennett. Make sure to follow or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on and stay tuned for future episodes.